We are going to be in Philippians again this week. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. And I did not mark it in mine, so poor planning on my part. All right, we started a series in Philippians last week, and we're going to continue that this morning, kind of pick up where we left off there in Philippians 1. We'll start in verse 12 here in just a minute. A couple things right out of the gate, just so you know, I am not used to steps on the stage. So there is, first service I said there was an 85% chance I misstep and fall off here. I beat the odds in the first service. So maybe now there's only like a 40% chance that I step off there. Uh, And then the other thing is I'm not used to preaching two sermons on Sunday, which means one of two things. I'm either going to, I either haven't paced myself and I'm going to run out of steam about halfway through, or you're just going to get everything that I left out in the first sermon and we're going to be here for an hour. Okay. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, But we are in Philippians chapter one. Uh, We're taking a pretty quick walk through the book of Philippians. Right? It is a book that is packed and loaded um, with man. Just a it is a rich book. Uh, But we are we're moving at a pretty good clip here. Uh, I I called it in the first service in South Wilson last week. I said we're taking a power walk through. Right? We're not we're not sprinting through. We're going to be in it for a few more weeks. Uh, but we're also not, you know, crawling through either. We're, we're a little power walk through the book of Philippians. Um, and, and here's kind of the, the subtitle. You can see it on the screens. Uh, to the series is just finding joy. Right? Because like Andrew said last week, the book of Philippians, fi- finding joy in the book of Philippians is kind of like playing um, hide and seek with a two-year-old. Right? Not hard to find. Okay? My youngest is going to be two on Friday. And he likes to play hide and, hide and seek, but he is not great at it. He thinks if he just like throws his blanket on his head that I can't see him. Okay. Uh, and that's kind of the way that joy is in the book of Philippians, right? It's not hard to find over a dozen times in four short chapters. Paul mentions the word joy or rejoice or rejoicing. It is a letter that is full of joy. All right. But what I'm up against this morning is kind of the, as the, the text will lay out here in a minute, kind of the, the central theme in this part of the letter that we're going to look at this morning is suffering. Like the, the title of the sermon is just finding joy in suffering, which like doesn't really have a ring to it, does it? Right? Nobody, nobody woke up this morning and was like, you know what I hope I get to do today? Suffer. Right? None of you did that. If you did do that, Maybe there are some underlying issues that we need to work through, okay? Uh, but none of, us, none of us like enjoy suffering. Nobody wants to suffer. Uh, and, and here, the, what I'm up against this morning is I'm going to try and persuade you from God's word that, that even in suffering, there is joy to be found, right? And that's, uh, that's not an easy task, right? Because we, we don't like suffering. We like to avoid it. Like, I don't even want to preach on suffering, but... Man, if I'm going to be faithful to the Bible, that's just what I got to do, right? So um, finding joy in suffering is our our challenge this morning. Uh, But we're going to look at what Paul has to say about that from Philippians. Uh, It's a big chunk of scripture. We're going to look at verses 12 through 30, but we'll break them up a, a little bit. So read with me starting in verse 12. Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. All right, so to kind of reorient us to where we are in Paul's letter, right, he, he begins, last week we looked at this, the first 11 verses are Paul just uh, encouraging the Philippians, right? He's saying, uh, he, he gives thanks for them, he encourages them, he prays for them. And then what happens in verse 12 is he kind of turns and, and begins to explain to them his circumstances, right, and his situation. And so at the time that Paul writes this letter, he is imprisoned, right, most likely in Rome. We don't know that for certain, but he's definitely imprisoned um, for preaching the gospel and proclaiming the gospel all over the, the, the known world at that point, right? And so um, the reason I think that's important is because when we talk about suffering and from, like from Paul's writing, Paul is not, uh, he's not removed from it. Okay, Paul is someone who is uh, well accustomed to what it means to suffer. Right? He's writing from prison, right? probably chained to a, a Roman guard. Um, he, you know, even apart from this, like before this, and like he, he knows suffering. Right? He's been beaten, he's been ridiculed, he's been mocked, he's been imprisoned. Right? This, is, this is common to Paul's life. He's a man who is well acquainted with what it means to suffer. Right. Un, unlike most of the stuff that you'll read on Facebook this afternoon, like this is written by a man who actually knows what he's talking about right? because he's walked through it before. Right? He's walking through it now, and it's from a position of suffering that Paul writes this letter. And, and the first thing I want to point out before anything else is he says, I want you to know brothers. Right? The, just a reminder, Paul is addressing Believers, brothers and sisters that have, like him, have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin and for the hope of eternal life. Right? That's his audience, the believers, the brothers and sisters there at the church in Philippi. And the reason I bring that up is because we're talking about suffering. Right? And, and what I would say, we're talking about finding joy in suffering. And what I would just say up front is, is that none of this makes sense. This whole idea of finding joy in suffering None of that makes sense apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? There's no conceivable way to find joy in the midst of the darkest, most painful uh, seasons of your life apart from Jesus. So that's what Paul says. For, he's writing to the brothers. Right? That It's only within the context of a relationship with Jesus that, that we'll ever find any joy in suffering. All right. But notice what, what Paul says. He, he says that what has happened to me, his, his imprisonment, his, his suffering that he's in, in this moment that he's writing this letter, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And this is a theme throughout, uh, really throughout Paul's life, but especially here in Philippians, is Paul's joy is, is consistently linked to the advance of the gospel. All right. His, his joy is is not found in his current situation or his current circumstances or, or the things that are going on around him in this moment. Right? Paul's joy is never 
linked primarily to those things. His joy is in, it's almost always rooted in, linked to the advance of the gospel. That's what Paul's given his life to, to go and to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth, even though it means he's going to be beaten, he's going to be ridiculed, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be thrown in prison for it. Paul's joy over and over and over and over again rooted in the advance of the gospel. And so he gives us some examples here. He says that because of his imprisonment, because of his suffering, uh, he's, the whole imperial guard has come to know uh, that he's imprisoned for, for Jesus' sake, for Christ's sake. Right? That means the whole sort of Roman guard there that would have overseen sort of the, the prisoners and right, the, the most powerful military force at the time in some form or fashion has come to know uh, at least who, not that they necessarily all believed by any means, but they at least have heard the good news of Jesus because Paul's imprisonment has, has made that known to them. And Paul says, in that, in my suffering, the whole imperial guard has come to know who Jesus is. Right? They've heard the gospel, whether or not they've responded to it, they've at least heard it because of my imprison, imprisonment. And, and in that, I rejoice. Right? And he goes on and he says that it's, uh, it's also uh, the, other, the other brothers, the other believers, they've, they've grown in boldness. They've grown in confidence. Right? They've, they've kind of pushed fear to the margins because they've seen Paul give his life to the advance of the gospel. They've seen Paul suffer for giving his life to the advance of the gospel. And, and, and Paul says that, that my imprisonment for the sake of the gospel has led to them being emboldened. Right? It's led to them proclaiming the gospel with, with boldness and without fear. Uh, and, and if my imprisonment led to that, then in that I rejoice, even in my suffering. And then not only that, there's, a, there's another one. Paul says that his, his rivals, right? so, so his enemies, his people, that uh, he says that they preach the gospel and they don't even do so with pure motives. Like their intentions in preaching it are to afflict uh, Paul in his imprisonment. Right? They're preaching out of selfish ambition, Paul says. And, and yet, even in that, Paul's able to say, even in that, even in my suffering, even though they're preaching to afflict me even more in my suffering, right, the fact that they're preaching Jesus, that even by my imprisonment, the gospel continues to go forth in that I will rejoice. All right, see, what you see here is that Paul, and he, he, he understands that this is not about his comfort. It's not about his convenience. It's about God's glory, and it's about the advance of the gospel. All right, Paul sees that his suffering has been redeemed. It's been repurposed. So if I can kind of connect that to, to us today, um, here's, here's my statement. It's going to sting a little bit at first, but I promise it's good news. God's primary concern is not your comfort and convenience. Right? Paul's primary, or, sorry, not Paul. God's primary concern, Paul's primary concern is not your comfort or convenience either, but God's primary concern is not your comfort or convenience. Right? And that stings a little bit, right? But, I mean, the, and like we even push back against that, don't we? Like, wait a second, wait a second. I know Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know that one. 
It's on the living room in my home. It's on the hallway there so that every time I walk through the hall, I know that, that God has plans for me to prosper me and, and not to harm me and to give me a hope and a future. I, I don't know about what you're saying up there. And when we do that, we take that out of the context in which it was written. Because Jeremiah 29, 11 was written to God's people in their season of suffering. They're in exile, right? They've been handed over to their enemies because of their own sin and rebellion. God gave them over to their enemies. They're in their own season of suffering. And and God enters into that and he says, yes, I do have plans for you. I am going to work through this. He says, I'm going to redeem your suffering for my purposes. He's not saying you're never going to suffer. He's not saying you're you're never going to have difficulties or pain or challenges. He's saying, I'm going to redeem this for my glory and for the advance of my kingdom. Right? That, that's what God does. He redeems our suffering. Right? God's primary concern is his glory in the advance of the gospel. And here's what's amazing. Is he lets us take part in that. Right? Like, like a dad that takes his children to work with him. Like, I don't know if you've ever done that or you've taken your kids with you. You know that like, you don't need your kids to get the job done, Right? Like usually what I found is if I let my kids help me around the house, it's going to take twice as long and we're probably going to break twice as much stuff, right? So God doesn't need us, but he invites us into what he's doing. And one of the places that he invites us into what he's doing, one of the things that he will redeem for his purposes is our suffering. He redeems our suffering because here's what I think, man. God gets a lot of mileage out of suffering because it's, it's in those places. If we'll lean into it, into what suffering is, and we'll lean into it with this mindset, I'm, I'm going to preach the message, the rest of the message before I get to it. But if we lean into that with, and ask the question, what is God doing in this? Then that is a very efficient place for God to receive glory and for us to make much of Jesus in our suffering. Right? So, God redeems our suffering. And I, and I saw this just on display uh, this week. Right? I was talking to a church member on the phone. Uh, she gave me a call earlier this week. And I, I don't want to give away too many details. Just, uh, but, but she is in her own season of suffering. She's got a loved one that's spent some time in the hospital. And so I uh, was talking to her this week. And she told me, she said, uh, man, you would not believe the, the number of conversations I've had this week. People I don't even know. People that like, I just pass in the hallway at the hospital or uh, I have the opportunity to, to pray with someone at the hospital. That, right, she, this lady's in her own season of suffering um, with the difficulties of, of a loved one that's, uh, that has some, some medical issues. And, and even in that place, she was able to talk and pray with people, some of which she said, like, I'm pretty confident they're not believers. Right? That's what it looks like for God to redeem our suffering for his purposes. Right? That as terrible as those situations or that circumstance was, that, that, that there was an opportunity there for her to, and to bring God glory to make much of Jesus. That's what it looks like for God to redeem suffering. All right, but not only that, there's, so we looked at God redeems our suffering, but kind of the next big chunk uh, is, is right, reconsidering 
our suffering, or, or suffering reconsidered. Here's what Paul writes. Uh, this is starting in kind of the back half of verse 18. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So like, in these few verses, I feel like we're getting Paul's sort of inner dialogue. Like he's just kind of like talking to himself back and forth and he just happens to write it all down for the rest of us to see. Because right, what you kind of see him, him wrestling with is on one hand, he's like, you know what? I, I know uh, this is going to end up uh, for my deliverance. That's what he says in verse 19, right? That, that I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. But then you read on a little further and he's saying like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to live. I don't know if I'm going to die. I don't know if I'm going to remain in prison. I don't know if I'm going to be released from prison. I don't know if I'm going to be executed at the end of my prison sentence. I don't know what the future holds for me. So how do we reconcile those two things? On one hand, Paul's saying, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. On the other hand, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And I think that the secret is, is how Paul looks at the word deliverance. That word that's translated here in, as deliverance is translated throughout the rest of the, the New Testament in, in various places, uh, not just as deliverance, but also as the word salvation. So when Paul says, I, I know that what's happening to me, my suffering, my imprisonment, I know it will turn out for my deliverance. What he essentially is saying is, I know this will turn out for my salvation. No matter what happens to me, if I remain in prison, this is going to turn out for my salvation. If, I, uh, if I'm released from prison and I get to go on and enjoy a, a fruitful ministry, that's going to turn out for my salvation. Or if I go to trial here soon and, and they sentence me to execution and I die, here in this prison. That will turn out for my salvation. Now, what do you do to that guy? Right? I mean, one of my favorite podcast preachers, he, he talks about this all the time. He's just like, how do you discourage Paul? Right? Paul's like, you put him in prison. He's like, man, this is going to turn out for good. You release him from prison. This is going to turn out for good. You kill him in prison, I get to go be with Jesus. Right? For Paul, it's I, Paul wins no matter what. Right? This is Paul's playing with like, like house money. Can I use that reference in church? He's, right, he's, 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 he wins no matter what. Right? That's why he can say things like uh, that I know that, that, whether, that my, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. No matter what happens to me, 
Christ will be honored. Right? That's why you can say things like, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I live, I get to make much of Jesus. If I die, I get to go be with Jesus. I win no matter what. Right? I mean, this is it's amazing, man. It's, and so here's where I want to kind of, again, connect this to, to where we are today, is that, again, when Paul said the word deliverance, he, he meant something different than I think we mean sometimes. When we think of deliverance from suffering, we think of being removed from it, right? Like any time there's, there's pain or difficulty or challenge or suffering, like we want no part of that. Right? And, and I don't even think that's, like I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's part of what it means to be human, right? When, I mean, you think back to the Garden of Eden when, when God created everything. He created man and woman in his image to enjoy fellowship with him and the, the fullness of his creation. There was no pain. There was no suffering. There was no difficulty. There were no challenges. There were no tears. There was none of that. And so I think like in those moments where we want to push back against suffering, pain, difficulties, I think really what that is is just I mean, God has imprinted eternity on our hearts. We know those things are not normal. Right? As, as in, in God's created order, like suffering was, never, was not a part of his original creation. So whenever we push back against it, I think what we're doing is we're just acknowledging that like, this is not right. And we're acknowledging eternity where this is not the way that things will be for, forever. Right? There is a day coming where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more difficulties. No more challenges, no more cancer, no more loss. Right, and so I think it's natural to push back against suffering as something that I don't want to, I don't want to experience. It's a natural thing, but, but what if? What if we, we could, even acknowledging it's, it's, not, it's not natural, it's not it's not part of what God originally intended for his creation. What if we looked at suffering as Paul did? Not primarily as a problem to be pushed to the margins or to run away from. But what if we looked at suffering as an opportunity? Like what if our default position in our suffering was, and how can, how can I glorify God in this? How can I make much of Jesus in this? How can I advance the gospel even in my suffering? Because that's kind of how, how Paul reconsidered suffering. Right? Because he, he knew what awaited him. And again, this goes back to what I said earlier. All this only makes sense in Christ. Right? Apart from Jesus, like this is just foolishness. But, but Paul looks at suffering not as something to just not to, something to try and get out from under, but as an opportunity to glorify God, to make much of Jesus, to advance the gospel. What if, what if we looked at suffering like that? And listen, that is not natural. It's not. And, and that's why like Paul says we need the help of the Spirit to do it. That's what he says in verse 19. Right, the, only, the only way he, he looks at his situations in this light is through your prayers, and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. If we're going to look at suffering through that angle, it's going to require the Spirit doing a work in us because that is not natural. All right? 
So God redeems our suffering so that we might reconsider our suffering. But here's, here's the last chunk. All right, we're going to talk about what it means to endure suffering. So look at verse 27. Here's what Paul writes. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And then verse 29 is kind of the, it's kind of the, the, the driving point here. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So Paul, Paul's encouragement to the church in Philippi is that they would let their manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And we hear the gospel and we think good news, all good news, and it is good news. The gospel is the best news. It's the best news the world has ever heard. Right? The gospel is good news. But if you pop the hood and kind of look at, like, look under the hood a little bit at what's going on, like the gospel is also, even though it's good news, like it's, it's kind of marred with this language of, of suffering and challenge and difficulty. Right? Because, I mean, just take like a big chunk of the gospel. Here's what we believe. That God, a holy, perfect, righteous God, willingly took on flesh in the form of Jesus and he, he stepped down from the perfection, the comfort of heaven where everything was awesome all the time. And he stepped into the brokenness of this world that is marred by sin. And he did it willingly. Right? He, God essentially in, in Jesus stepped into suffering. And then not only that, but he lived a perfect life, sinless in every way. Right? Jesus, God wrapped in flesh, never, never sinned, never committed a wrong. And what he received from that was suffering. And he was, he was rejected. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. Ultimately, he was Betrayed, he was arrested, he was beaten, he was murdered and crucified in the most excruciating way known to man for sins he did not commit, to save you from your sin and to save me from my sin. And the good news is, is that through trust in Jesus, through belief in the gospel, we are saved from sin, but like there's a lot of suffering that leads up to that, right? And here's when we say we, you know, we, we trust the gospel, we believe the gospel, we put our trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, for the hope of eternal life, that makes us Christ followers. Which means that we follow the example of, of Jesus. Who suffered? Right? To, to follow Jesus is, is to willingly step into a life that's probably going to be marked by some suffering. Right, if, if our Lord and Savior, the one we're following, if, if he suffered, 
Like, should we expect anything different? Not that we'll be crucified for the sins of the world. Jesus did that. We don't have to, that's not on us, right? But there's going to be some suffering that comes our way. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. That's why Paul says, it has been granted to you. Almost like, here, you get this opportunity. When you sign up to follow Jesus, you check the terms and conditions, right? This is what you get, is you get some suffering, which should just blow up the whole idea of the prosperity gospel. I don't know if, you've ever, if you know what that is. It's this idea that, uh, that, that Jesus came, you believe in Jesus, and you get health, wealth, and wisdom, and a, a happy life, the American dream. Sounds awesome, except it's not true. Because Jesus said it's not true. Right? Jesus' words over and over again to his followers in the New Testament is, hey, in this life you will have trouble. In this life you will be hated for my sake and for the sake of the gospel. In this life you will be persecuted. Like This is what we sign up for when we follow Jesus. So we should expect, man, we're just going to get beat up a little bit. Right? We're, we're going to get the, the edges knocked off a little bit. Right? Suffering is, is, is certain. It's, it's sure, it's been, but it's been granted to us that we might endure it. And endure it for, like I'm trying to say it over and over and over again, we endure it for God's glory and for the advance of his kingdom. That's what it means to, to suffer for the sake of Christ. Right? Suffering is not just something to escape or to run from. Right? And, and, and don't hear that for more than what it is. Right? We're, it makes sense to, like, don't willingly walk into it. You know what I'm saying? But, like, if you find yourself in those moments of suffering, and what if we looked at that with, with a, the posture of, how can I endure this? If this is what God has for me in this season, how can I endure this in a way that glorifies and honors him and makes much of Jesus in my life as an example to a world that desperately needs to know him? Right? That's what it means to endure suffering. And so here's, here's where I, right, approaching the runway, right, land the plane here. Kind of one big question for you to consider is where do you find joy in suffering? Where do you find joy in suffering? And, and let me even press that in a little more to kind of make it applicable. Where do you find joy when the, the diagnosis is terminal? Where do you find joy when, when you've got to wrestle with that decision to, right, when's the right time to turn off these machines that are keeping my loved one alive? Like, where do you find joy in that? Where do you find joy when, and when you have prayed and prayed and prayed and yet you still have a wayward child that is caught in the throes of addiction? Where's the joy in that? Right, what about, where do, you, where do you find joy when, when papers are served and the divorce like rips your family apart? Where is there joy in that? How in the world do we look at all these dark moments of life and find joy? 
Because, I mean, you just look at those things. like, there's no joy here. If, I, if all I'm looking at is this thing, this situation, this circumstance, like those things that we wish we could forget, never remember, how do we look at those things and, and find joy? And here's what I would just offer to you. You will not find joy in suffering unless your joy is rooted in something, someone that, that transcends the suffering. Right? You will not find joy in suffering apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus, there is no way to look at those things in life. Some of those examples I just listed, there's no way to look at those and be like, there's joy here. Because there's not, except for Jesus, who uses those things in ways that like, we don't always comprehend. Sometimes we don't even know it till like years later. We may not even know it until we step into eternity and we get to be like, Jesus, what in the world were you doing at this point in my life? We don't always know what he's doing. But if we trust that he is doing something, that he's redeeming our suffering for his purposes. I mean, there is joy in that. There is joy in that. We can find joy in suffering whenever our joy is rooted in the one who, who transcends suffering. And, then, and here's the last bit of comfort I, I want to give you this morning. I mean, this is from God's word. Right? The God who, who, who grants us this opportunity to suffer. And, and just as, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, understanding what suffering was, I, I want you to know this morning that, that the God who, who calls us to these seasons of suffering, he does, want, he does so as one who, he's acquainted with suffering. Right? Suffering is not, it's not something unknown to him. And what I mean by that is that you just take, like, take the Trinity, right? I'm not going to try to explain that. Right? We need a lot of help with that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? Just take those three. God the Father knows what it's like to suffer. He looked on his son as he suffered an anguishing death on the cross. He knows what it means to suffer. God the Son, right? Jesus knows what it means to suffer. That's what we just talked about. He physically bore the wrath for all the sins of the world on the cross. He knows what it means to suffer. The author of Hebrews says that he's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And that's, that's in our suffering. He understands it because he suffered. And then God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is, is present with us in our suffering. Right? We, we do not have a God who, who stands far off in our suffering and says, Good luck! Right? We have a God who, who enters into it and comforts and walks with us and gives us peace and redeems our suffering for his purposes. That's the good news this morning. That's where there's joy. That God redeems our suffering. That because he redeems it, we're able to reconsider and look at our suffering in a little bit different lens or a different light and to know that we can endure suffering because of that. 
And when we do, it's, it's for God's glory. It's for the advance of the kingdom. And believe it or not, it's even for our joy. All right, let me pray for us. Father, we come to you this morning and uh, just heavy words. Heavy words. Uh, and and it, it's going to land on us in different places this morning. It, you know, some, some people in this room, myself, I feel like I haven't really wrestled with a lot of suffering in this life. And, and if I'm honest, it feels almost like it's foreign to me. I've, I've been blessed beyond measure. And many of us in this room can, can relate. We haven't experienced a lot of suffering. And so for us, that maybe that's where we land this morning, I pray that, that, that now, in this moment, uh, before our day of suffering comes, because it will come, I pray, Father, that we would look at suffering, uh, begin to understand that it's, it's as painful and challenging as it is, it's, it's not just something to run from and avoid, but that it's something that you might, uh, you might grant to us, as Paul says, so that we might make much of you, that we might play some part in advancing your kingdom. So Father, prepare us even now for, for that day of suffering. And then Father, for those that maybe have, have walked through their own seasons of suffering, maybe they're right in the middle of it right now. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would comfort them. I pray that they would, they would know, Father, that you are not a God who is distant or far off, but that you are, you are with them. And I pray that you would help them to see how you might uh, either have used their past suffering for your purposes or how you might use the suffering they're in now for your purposes. And I, I pray that they, they would find joy in that. Not joy in the suffering itself, but joy in what you might be doing in and through their season of suffering. And so, Father, maybe there's some here in this room that, that they hear this and they're like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Because maybe they don't have the hope of salvation that we talked about, that Paul does. They don't, they don't know what it means to be able to, to look at suffering and know that no matter what happens, this is going to turn out for my salvation. Father, if there's some here in this room this morning that have never trusted in you for forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life, I pray that you would move them towards that. I pray that you would save them so that they too could face suffering knowing that it will turn out for their deliverance, for their salvation. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word this morning. Pray that you would have us to respond, help us to respond as you would have us to. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.